0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. The fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. We are in a series on the book of Hebrews. We have taken a chapter a week, and I'm going to read through that for us, and then we will uh, break it down together, wicka, wicka. So, verse chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. Again in that passage he says they will never enter my rest. Therefore since it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. He again specifies a certain day today. He specifies this, speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from it. From his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective. And is sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way. One who has been tempted in every way. Yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Sunday mornings are a catch-up time for many of you. Now, I know that lots of you work together and that's not the case for all of us. So when we see one another once a week, we enter into a conversation. And that conversation flows a little bit like this. And really does not change. Uh, We see someone that we have not seen in three to four days, maybe an entire week, and we say, how are you doing? And their reply is inevitably pretty good or fine. Then they follow with another phrase. And that next phrase is a problem for us. Because that next phrase, in essence shows that we have no heart for the commands of God. Imagine that you saw someone that you have not seen in a week and asked them that question, How are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, I'm fine. I, I, I worked a lot this week, but other than that, it's all good imagine you saw your friend for the first time in a week met them here in the back of our worship center and you said uh how are you doing i i'm fine i spent a few hours melting down my wife's jewelry so we can make a graven image but besides that this has been the best week ever how are you doing this week well i'm fine i curse god in traffic every morning but other than that i've been solid how are you this week I'm, i'm fine I mean, the things I said to my mom and dad yesterday weren't the finest, but besides that, everything's okay. How are you doing this week? I'm fine, but there were these people that I had to deal with at work, if you know what I mean. I'm fine. I had a really inappropriate relationship with the person that I work with. I'm fine. I stole my neighbor's lawnmower on Tuesday because I was jealous of it on Monday. But I lied to the police when they came by. We don't say any of those things. Because those nine commandments that I have summarized, in essence, we seem to have something inside of us that says, you should not do this. But I would guess that of the 90% of conversations you had this morning... When you greeted your friend who you have not seen in six to seven days, and they said, How are you doing? You replied, I- I'm good. We're just really busy. We make no efforts to hide our busyness. As a matter of fact, sometimes in our stresses, we run to busyness as a comfort. And God has said to us, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The entirety of chapter 4 is about rest and about us resting well. Now, we have to understand what that rest means to get the full picture of what God is showing us here. And as your pastor, I need to let you know that I grew up with a very poor image of what it meant that God, as Jen read earlier, would rest on the seventh day. In my head, I thought that days 1 through 6 were incredibly difficult and while he was just speaking things into existence. So on day 7, God took an eno. I have to be careful not to say emo because that would completely change the story. But God took an eno and he hung it between the tree of good and evil and the, and the other tree in the garden. And he put on his flip-flops and he rested as if God drove down in his RV every weekend to relax. That's not what happens when God rests. God does not rest for his sake, he rests for yours. God rests for your sake in that he is establishing for us in what we see in the creation account in Genesis, in the book of Genesis a picture of how our lives are to function and of where our confidence should be. You've heard the phrase rest assured. You've more than likely told someone to rest assured. What that means and what we are pointing to when we say that is that we would be a people who live in a way that says that everything is in the control of God and in all honesty for us we either trust that or we don't that God has the world in his hands that he has creation wrapped up so you can look in the first ten verses of this passage and we see this idea of rest but it runs throughout the entire chapter because we've added these places in the Bible that are very helpful to us as to know what's being talked about in a particular place like when your Bible more than likely says over verses 14 through 16 the idea of the great high priest. But this entirety of chapter 4 is about rest and it's part of a longer conversation that this writer is having. So here's what we see in verses 1 through 10. We see the story of Sabbath. <clears throat> we see the story of Sabbath. Sabbath. You see it alluded to in verse 4 and 5. The idea of what the Father's rest is. But I'm going to read 1 through 5 again just so that we're clear and that we're on the same page together. Therefore, <coughs> excuse me, since the promises to enter his rest remains, let us be aware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter the rest. Even though his works have not been finished since the foundation, have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on that day, God rested from all of his works. Verse 5. Again, in this passage, he says, They will never enter my rest few things taking place here that we have to be very clear and careful with one we see the idea that God rests and we see that in verses 4 and 5 setting up for us and showing us this rhythm and this pattern of what it means for us to be a people who rest not because we do not rest because we see that God needed rest we rest because God is showing us that we do But rest here is not simply us going on vacation. Rest, when you talk about this passage, lines up with what we say when we use the phrase, the cliche, rest assured. Because we are saying that we are going to rest with confidence. What are we resting in? We are resting in the image that has been painted for us in these first few verses that God in the work of creation finished something that we rest in the complete work of God. We see the Father's rest setting the pattern, setting the rhythm for everything that will take place in these next few verses. When we see the Father's rest, it then takes us to a place where we are reminded that the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people. If you're a first-timer with us today, we've used lots of pronouns in chapter 4. So let me help you out, and hopefully I can help our people out who have not seen in a couple of weeks, because of spring break or whatever, when you read through this book, he's talking about... About to the Jewish people who are casual followers of Jesus not all of them but in their midst there are some who are casually following after Jesus they love Jesus they also love everything else and there is not a tension in their heart to make Jesus above those things and as he attacks this idea of casual faith he's using the Jewish story of the Exodus to tell it, to tell it So we have the story of the Exodus in the book of Exodus. We have the delivery of the children of Israel from Egyptian captivity. They're there. They have their deliverer who comes. And immediately they get to this place where they're working and they're wrestling. And they're struggling with, I know that God delivered us with Moses. But this is hard. This is difficult This is hard for me to understand. So you see that he's talking to these people who would bicker and complain in the wilderness. And as they bickered and they complained, eventually they do not get to enter into the rest of God. You see that phrase used repeatedly in verses 1 through 5. You see it at the end of verse 3 where we quote from Psalm 95, which has been quoted throughout this They shall not enter my rest. You see it again when God says, they shall not enter my rest. When a Bible writer repeats himself or herself, himself, it is a big deal. When we read something in the Bible that says that God, uh, where God says something in this chapter over and over, it is a massive picture for us. What is the big deal? The big deal is that the hearts of people are bent towards sin, big and small. And we need to be constantly nudged in the other direction. Uh, Spring break, spring breakation, if you will, at our house. And something happens when time change and spring break, get married and have babies. It just throws the whole world upside down. I don't think that my children woke up in the same bed two nights in a row this week. They just kept rotating like they were on this progressive tour from one place to the next. And occasionally they would show up in bed with us. And look, you can be the parent who loves to cuddle your kid and stuff. That's not my gig. I'm not really, I, I, I love you, you be there. I'll be here, you be there. Let's separate from one another. So when that child begins to move towards you, if you're the parent who's like me and right... You begin to push them away from you. You push them away because there's a better place for them to be. Now when you in the floor <laughs> here, let me make you a cot. Uh, we see that we are being nudged in the direction of entering into God's rest as you walk through this. We're quoting from Psalm 95. And God is letting us know that the wilderness generation, that they were condemned because they saw God's deliverer and they did not experience God's deliverance. Because it's about more than seeing, it's about walking with through hardship. We also see this. He is letting us know the invitation to avoid this is alive for the people that is written in to this book. So when you read to the book of Hebrews, he's saying to them. They did not enter the rest. So let me warn you that you, as the one hearing from Hebrews, should enter this rest. And you notice that as you go through verses 1 through, through 10. He says this word today. Enter the rest today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So for these people at this point in time particularly God is saying when you consider the story of our people we have some who did not really get who God is. But you, you can as long as there is a today you're invited to faith is what's being said. But that's not just a story for the Jewish people for the de- from the days of Moses and Exodus and from the Jewish people during the deliverance and for the people in the book of Hebrews. This is a story for us. Notice what it says. When you get to verse 7, it says, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, Through David. If you're by- or something that equates to the word through, could you raise your hand? also I'm glad you have your Bibles or your phone backlit illumination so we when we read that when we see this word we're forced to ask but I thought David wrote that psalm David did write that psalm God in the way that his word is lined up here It's showing us that David wrote it. But that God was the one who wrote it. It was through David. David was a conduit of the word of God. Which shows us. That we still have today. Because this passage worked in its present sense to the people that David talked to in Psalm 95 about the people of the Exodus in the book of Exodus and Numbers as well as to the people of Hebrews in their present situation but it also speaks to us in our present situation because God's truth that has definite time drops throughout this is not limited by time and for some of us who have been churching for a while, let's just make church a verb. Some of us have been churching for a while and we've missed why we do church. And that is wandering and it's the worst kind. Because you keep having to wake up. On Sundays, you force yourself out of bed to get to things like this. You guilt yourself into doing this, and you miss the pleasure of the deliverer because you're not living in his deliverance. As long as there is a today. We also see this. We, we, we see this idea of give the Father's rest establishing. We see the idea of the first rest and we see that in verses 8 and 9 because we spent... So who's been with us for a while at Grace. Who's been with us for, for my time here? Like That blip in the radar that is my time. We walk through the book of Joshua. Remember that? That was fun. Murders and everything. It was just war every single Sunday. When we went through Joshua, we would probably have to consider, well, they finally got to enter into the rest. The, the children of Israel wandered with Moses for 40 years. They drove him and Aaron and his sister crazy. But they get to rest when they get there that's the first rest but even in that if Joshua had really given them rest emphasis mine God would not have spoken of another day later on so then verse 9 there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God That rest was a reminder of what God would do fully. What we see in Joshua, they cross over, but it's not bliss, right? It's not serendipity. When they get there, you then see all types of of looting and improper behavior they did not really grasp the deliverance. They grasped it more than their predecessors. They experienced a small version of what God would eventually do for us in Jesus, but they did not experience it in full. We see there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Who's that Sabbath rest? Where do we experience that Sabbath rest? Verse 9, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. So that's why Jared reads from this story in the Gospels today. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them into their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They did not get why you were resting because they did not get who their confidence should be in. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and t- t- and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. I'm the rest is what Jesus says. This is equivalent to what we see Imagine you're driving down 288. We drive down 288 on, here, on Sunday mornings a lot here lately. And you're going the proper speed. Right? You do that. Proper speed people. A police car takes off in front of you. Sirens blasting. And while their sirens are blasting, it irritates you. I'm told that I can only drive 70 miles an hour. 65, It's 65. Rest in that. I'm told that I can only drive 65 miles an hour. That person with the lights on their car is driving 80. So you begin to chase them. You wave them down. You attempt to pull them over, like your Gomer and Goober making a citizen's arrest. side of the road you begin to tell them do you realize what you were doing of course they realized what they were doing they were doing their job these men pull Jesus over as he is showing that he is the fulfillment of all that we should have confidence in all that we should rest assured in And they say, do you realize what you were doing? And then Jesus drops his hammer. Yeah, because the Sabbath's not for me. It's for you. Do we realize that all of the busyness in our lives and the call to rest, that call to rest, it's for you it's not so that we would bend and break and, and, and say God I, I really want to work today I really want to do this today I really want to set up my tent today because working is not just about it's not just about you going and clocking in God calling you to rest is for you It's him being good to you. It's him saying to me and him saying to you, your confidence can't be in that, but you do put your confidence in that. If I could only get to vacation, I could rest. No. If I could only make enough money to provide for my family, I would be able to rest. No. These are all fleeting confidences that are contrary to everything that God teaches us. Rest cannot properly be understood apart from the Bible being this big story about Jesus. So you can take all the vacations and all the sleep medications you want and get every Z that you can find. And if you are not finding your confidence that you can rest assured in Jesus, you are not resting in the way that God has designed. So we rest in the story of Sabbath. We also rest in the work of the Word. We see that in verses 11 through 13. Go with me. Let us then, or your Bible, because I know you ESV people, it may say therefore. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. That pattern of disobedience being that you would try to find your identity in anything other than what God has provided for you in the Sabbath, which is fully manifested in Jesus. For the word of God is living and effective, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as a separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart no creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account, to whom we must give an account. Some of my favorite quotes about the idea of what the scripture is and how the scripture worked. One is from Charles Spurgeon. I've quoted him time Timer 27 in here. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself we talk about the sharpness of this sword and what the sword does how it pierces it, it pierces us I hate to go to the doctor I don't, any anybody like it? Well, I love the doctor you know what I want to do today take some time away from not resting and I want to go to the doctor I want to go to the doctor so they can have hard conversations with me about the fact that I eat too much pizza So when you get to the doctor, they're going to tell you if they notice something that's serious. That thing that is serious will be identified. It will either be identified when you are living so that it can be dealt with or it will be identified when you're dead. That problem in you will be dealt with when you are alive or when you are dead. So when we talk about the Word of God and how it works... For God's people, it works in us. And God, in his word, pierces us. And he cuts in us. To take the things out of us that don't look like Jesus. To remove things from us that are far from God. It will work on those. And that is a good, painful work. Or, the word of God which says to every one of us that we are unrighteous apart from Christ. It will identify that unrighteousness that has never been dealt with when you are far and and you are dead. God's word dealing with us. It's sharp. It's piercing. When you get to verse 12, I I love this. In verse 12, it uses the, the word discerning. The breakdown of that word literally means it critiquing. That when it gets to the joint and marrow... It critiques the thoughts and intentions of your heart. This is not criticizing. When we consider critiquing, it means it is redirecting the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So, your heart, which is deceptively wicked and far from God, God takes and begins to repurpose, to shift. He uses what's wicked in you and He works in that wickedness to make you seek after Him. His word speaking to us. God's word does speak. We, we, 12, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as a separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. I love the Bible, and I believe that it's important that we are people of the Bible. And I, it's important for us to consider what it means to do Bible studies. I read recently... Uh, that we have to be careful when we use the word Bible study. And the real careful is that for many of us, we lean far too much into the literature about the Bible study and far too much away from what the Bible actually says. Look, I'm all about your Bible studies. I'm all about my Bibles. I think Bible studies are awesome. And I think that there are helpful pastors and helpful writers who will help us to lock in on what Scripture says. But, as Rick Warren said, who doesn't get quoted around here a lot, the Bible is inerrant and authoritative. My interpretation of it always isn't. If I'm your best Bible, you've got a lousy Bible. If your podcast is your best Bible as you listen to whoever your favorite preacher happens to be you have a short-sighted Bible God would have us be people who see that his word pierces and twists and cuts and contorts it reworks us not always just with the letters I was reading through Luke and there's a story of a man who wants his servant healed and Jesus says do you believe that I'll do it and the man says I believe just help my unbelief that's a narrative story that's not just a Bible narrative that's my story I believe this but I need God to help my unbelief regularly because I don't always get this But God works in my emotions through his word. He works with my understanding of him through his word. He helps me to love my family better, I hope, through his word. He directs me through his word. He takes the parts of me that need to be removed out through his word. So if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Just take the one of the person who's sitting next to you. Don't get another one. Finally, we see this. Jesus is not only... We see that we can only rest in the story of the Sabbath and the work of the Word. We see that we can rest in the perfect priest because all this ties together. Let me read it over. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way. As we are, yet he's without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Have you ever noticed that we are forced to settle with our political candidates? The people who we are asking to represent us, we settle on them. We do not agree with them 100%. If you agree with them 100%, well, if you agree with them 100%, you've got an idolatry problem, and I do too. So I go to this website called www.isidewith.com, and it's not perfect either because nothing is, but but I'll kind of go through, and they'll have you answer a list of questions as to what you think about this or what you think about what do you think about abortion how important of an issue is an abortion to you so i go through this and when i go through this it shows you who you side with politically so it will tell you that you agree with this person 61% and this person 39% and and so on and so forth and it helps you to understand your local elections your whatever People love when they can identify with a top politician. That's why politicians who walk around neighborhoods, have. that's why they do that. They identify when your neighbor has a sign in their yard. But even in this identification, there is a settling that comes because we don't agree with them on everything. They're our representative, but they're not a good one all the time. Most of the time. Lots of the time. I'll work through that later. People love it. But we settle. Our great high priest is not someone we have settled on. He's not someone we can settle on. Because our great high priest is not a polit- politician trying to seek our approval, he's a king to whom we submit. So I don't get to declare what his word means. His word does. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Passing through the heavens is Solomon language. He uses it. When he's building the temple, talking about the various levels of the temple and how it will be set up, he does that because he's talking about as well what the heavens and the way that he understands the heavens to function. So the great high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice, there were various things that he had to do to get there. Jesus, as the great high priest, does not have to go through those things. He, as a matter of fact ascends directly to heaven is what the writer of hebrew says to us that he is in the he passes through the heavens so let us hold fast to him who is our confession let us claim that jesus in jesus god has given us all that we need that's the confession for us as believers let us claim has taken my sin. Let us claim that Jesus has given me life. Let us claim that Jesus has shown me how my life should function. Let me claim Jesus. Let me claim what the writer of the book of Romans says when he t- says to us that we would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God rose Him from the dead and that we'll be saved because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. All of our sins, all of our struggles, all of our shortcomings, all of our frustrations, all of our poor attitudes, all of the complications with people that we deal with on a daily basis that say to us we are not perfect, Jesus dealt with those things and remained so. Jesus dealt with sin. So we look in the scriptures and we see Jesus telling the story in the narratives. The writer of the, of the New Testament, Matthew, when he writes that portion of the Gospels. He tells about Christ's temptations and he shows us that Jesus dealt with temptation, the big. And there's big ones there, right? That he would be worshipped as God. He dealt with that. And all of our hearts bend that way, though it may not present itself in the way that we're thinking when we say be worshiped. We want everything to bend towards us. We want our kids to bend towards us. We want our boss to bend towards us. We want our, our spouse to bend towards us. We want everyone to say to me, Your thoughts are perfect. Your ways are perfect. And they're just not. Jesus dealt with that temptation, the big, but he also dealt with the basic temptations. Hey, you're hungry. So fill your belly and say that God is not important. We can have confidence in that our great high priest has dealt with all those things. Let us, verse 16, then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may have mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you see this trail that this writer's taking us on? The first three chapters are about the nation of Israel and their inability to get to the place where they could meet God. They wouldn't rest in him. He references what takes place with Joshua and even when they got to the promised land, their inability to rest in the confidence that God offers. But to us, to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, He says, let us with confidence draw near. At this time, in spite of your sin, in spite of your struggle, in spite of your failures, in spite of all of these things, you can draw to the throne of grace with confidence. But you don't know what I've done. Draw near. God does. You don't understand the mistakes that I've made. You don't understand the temptations that I deal with. You don't understand anything that I walk through. And God, your great high priest, has said, yes, I do. In every way. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, there's a song by a band called Ren Collective. We're going to sing that in a moment. We're not really doing it in honor of St. Patrick's Day. But the lyrics, I love and the lyrics should speak to our hearts and our hearts inability to posture themselves before God properly they speak to the idea that we would say to God that God I'm going to clean myself up so that you love me God I'm going to correct myself so that I can follow you it's this confidence in ourselves and resting in things that are unlike God and this is what God says to us this is what God says Draw near to the throne with confidence. The band, they say it this way, and we'll sing this in a moment. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless, now you're running home. By your blood, not mine. Thank God, not mine. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own to the arms of majesty. That's what God's people have been called to. Rest in that. Because the veil has been torn. Our confidence has been provided. And that confidence is in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, who says, All of your stuff, I've been through it. And I'm for you. And I'm not going to turn my back on you. And I love you. And I care for you. Draw near, draw near, draw near. I'll be in the back right hand corner of the room.